Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I am Stuart Roberts and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago. I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Hear Me See Me podcast. Um, This week we've got uh, some very disturbing but courageous and hopeful stories this week with uh, domestic violence and um, coercive behaviour and things like that. And my guest today is um, actually a sister of a friend of mine. And uh, so I've sort of seen the story unravel quite a bit over the last few years. Um, And I'll leave her to tell tell you her story. uh, So hello, Michelle. Hiya. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for calling. How are you getting on in lockdown? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting times, I think, as anyone will say, really. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a really strange time for reflection and mm. thinking about the people around you. And um, I was speaking, funnily enough, I said to you earlier, I was speaking to my um, caseworker, and I said, I'm so thankful that I've been a year out of my relationship mm. because I think that if this was going on at the time of lockdown, I think it could have been a lot more dangerous. I think, mm. because you're stuck in the house together, at least when this was going on, I was still working, I was still going out of the house, um, and obviously he was working as well and going out, so I think for for those couples that, and those women, and, and men, obviously, it's not just female, um, oh. that are in a coercive, controlling relationship or any domestic violence, it must be really difficult times. Yeah. It's going to escalate, but I think it's also the fact that, like I was saying to you earlier as well, that I was going to Counseling session, so I was going once a week and speaking about what was going on and, and getting advice and guidance. And because you're not able to do that if you're stuck in the house because of COVID 19, mm. then you're not able to process and kind of have those conversations where you do feel you feel you're getting your power back. Because if you're completely sort of like you lack power and have nothing, then it will just the, the coercive control I think could literally just escalate and, and get really out of control. Um, yeah, so I'm thankful that I'm no longer in that relationship anymore. Oh, thank God, yeah. Um, yeah. Take us back to the, if you don't mind, like the beginning, because most stories I've heard, they all started off. Yeah, I think... sort of very charming at the beginning, so... It's, it's, really, it's really funny, I think, that when you, when when you realise that you've been in a coercive, controlling relationship, you can look back and reflect and think, God, there were so many kind of like typical signs that if you read up on somebody that's coercive and read up on someone that's um, a narcissist, you'd really see quite clearly all the boxes that you were ticking. So if you had like a checklist when you were dating someone that you could check, that you could tick off, yeah. um, you definitely, my checklist would have been pretty full. 
Um, and I think red lights would have been flashing. But when you're in it, you just think that they're nice, they're charming, they're pleasant. Um, you know, I mean, I, we met on a dating website, so we started dating um, in the middle of November. But I'd pretty, we'd pretty much moved in together by Christmas. So, you know what I mean? It was a very quick mm. turnaround on relationship. And then before I knew it, we bought a flat together by the May of the following year, and we're living together. And then we were then putting enough room for a three-bedroom house. So everything was very quick, and he was very quick mm. to kind of like take us away on holiday to Venice, and he bought me a Rolex watch, and was always taking mm. me to nice restaurants and saying things like, um, I'll take you all to these nice places, and I'll look after you. And so you kind of get kind of swallowed up, you know, and they call it love bombing. So yeah, right. That you do kind of get get sort of like under their spell very quickly. And um, yeah, and but I, a couple um, of sorry, interrupt you, but the, no, go on. This this has been quite a, a, um, a theme we're going through that this this whirlwind relationship seems to be a real symbol or a real symptom. The real because yeah. everyone I've spoken to so far, it's it's all been this sort of really fast whirlwind relationship at the beginning. Because they they don't want you to have time to think. Right. They don't want you to kind of go, oh, that's a bit strange, and, and so you question right. things because they've always already got an answer. Now, I mean, I, I think when I was speaking to uh, Nikki and I said, I mean, I remember the day, I remember the actual situation when I literally, and it's kind of, it, it's, it's, a re, it's a really weird thing to say I gave up my power because it wasn't. It's just that I was really manipulated into the situation. And he kind of played me to see how I'd react. And I reacted exactly the way that he would have wanted me to. Because right. I, I had a really good male friend and, and didn't like it at all. He was very much like, he's just using you, he's taking the piss out of you, he just wants to sleep with you. And it really wasn't like that at all. But we had this massive row on the phone one night and I had my friend round. And the next day, instead of going straight into work, as I normally would do, get there for like 8 o'clock, I'd, throw, I'd driven to his house to have a conversation with him to say, look, you need to not be paranoid I'm with you, blah, blah, blah. And I remember after that thinking, you've made me choose and I've chosen you and you've manipulated me into that situation to do that. Mm. Because if you've got someone telling you who your friends can be in the very early part of your relationship, then they're already trying to close your circle and get you in so you're relying on them for everything. Mm. Um, but I think that the um, coercive control really got kind of like underway once I got pregnant. I mean, he was right. very keen to get, to have a baby. Yeah, yeah. So much so. I mean, he was very much mm. like you. You're, you know what I mean? You're not going to get any younger. I, I would like to have another child if you want to. And yeah. but he was saying things that to me, it's like, well, uh, you know what I mean? I think I was about 37. So I was thinking, mm. yeah, he's probably right. You know, if I do want to have a child, then I need to think now. You know, I mean, I've never wanted children prior to to that relationship and I'd been single for five years and I'd like I'd got my career I was doing it I was I had my good circle of friends I was busy it wasn't like I was a kind of loner and sort of like someone that was mm. a bit shy you know what I mean I think you've met me and you know I'm not that yeah. way anyway of course and I think that when when people hear about your story they go how did that happen to you it's like well, it can happen to anybody there's not a type it's not a type. You don't. No. You know. I mean, I, I, I was teaching groups of thirty-five students and being a loudmouth entertainer mm. every day and keeping keeping sixteen, seventeen-year-olds amused. Um, so I think to, to say that it, it's a, there's a type that is open to coercive control is 
is there is no type in that there is there's nothing you can do. I know. It, it, it seems to me that from what I've found out so far is that um, yeah, it, it's not people have imagined it to be like this victim type personality no, that will get. And, and, but no, it's not that at all. And it's what it no. is, is, is the narcissistic person knows exactly how to find that weakness in whatever type of person you are. So they'll, yeah, find, I, they'll find them triggers that they can yeah. use to, I mean, I to, do, to I get do, in. Yeah, I do think that being a kind of empathetic person in the sense that you're trying to do right by everybody, you've got really strong morals and mm. you're always trying to make sure everyone's happy. And I mean, that, that definitely is something that a narcissist would look for. Because yeah. then they can they can literally steal your light, and they can be that person where you literally have to put all your attention on them. But they want all of that. They want all of your worrying about them, and are you making them happy? And you're not respectful enough, and you're not appreciative enough. What all the things I do for you, and there's very much a big game play that would make me feel guilty. And I'd be like, well, how can I be a better wife? How can I be a better mother? How can I be a better partner? What am I not doing right? And you're constantly questioning yourself on how you need to improve. Not them, because they're perfect in their eyes. They're like the world is wonderful, and they're like the apple of everyone's eye. Everyone, everyone, everyone will think that they're wonderful. Everyone they meet, they'll charm. Yeah. People would be very surprised. Just yeah, this is often the case, isn't it? This is the thing is that people say, "I can't believe that it's like that." Yeah. Until until they're faced with it, the truth. Yeah. Until they actually sit down and actually speak to you and they go, really? And you're like, yeah. But then people say, why did you, why did you put up for that for so long? It's like, because you don't realise you're in it. You don't... No. You don't realise because then obviously once I had my daughter um, and I was thinking about going back, you know what I mean? For the, for the nine months that I was on maternity leave, he did nothing. He just went out on the piss and literally just was out all the time. Really? I was at home, yeah, literally. He literally just said, I'm wetting the baby's head and that went on for about nine months. <laughs> Where the baby is, right. yeah, drowned it yeah. literally, like yeah. a swimming pool, um, yeah. and he was just, just literally like, don't text me, don't phone me, I'm out, I'm out. Right. You've you've wanted a baby, this is your child, you wanted a baby, so now that you you man up, and you look you after. man up, yeah, man up, <laughs> step up to the plate, yeah, and it was um, it was very much like that. So he didn't really want anything to do with her. You know what I mean? I think that when he yeah. was working from home, he was very much like. Um, because obviously he's, he's got his own, he's self-employed, so he'd work from home a lot, and he'd like literally be, um, I don't want you in the house between a certain amount of time, I built your conservatory, I want you in the conservatory, um, I don't want any noise if I'm concentrating, and if I'm in the front room, then I'm in the front room, if I'm watching something, then I'm, I'm not just watching telly, I'm, on, I'm in my mind palace, so you need to not disturb me. In, in, in what, sorry? My mind palace. Mind palace. Yeah, I've got that a lot. Um, so literally we'd, we'd be out all the time in sort of like little clubs right. and stuff and walking around and doing our thing. But when yeah. I went back to work, he was very much like, why am I back to work for? And I was like, well, it's my independence. It's, yeah. it's my career. I've been doing this for 13 years now. Why would I give it up? But he made it really difficult. I put him into a nursery that he didn't like. No. So I had to take her out of that nursery. And I had to put him into another nursery, which he didn't like. He didn't like at all. But he'd say things like, oh, why don't you ask your mother to come and look after her? She's such a great-grandmother. Mm. And just, just literally, like, we used to say to my family all the time, he hated my family. And they'd just yeah. take the piss out of them all the time. And So it then makes you think, well, are they like that? Yeah. Are they? Because they get in your head, don't they? Yeah, they do. And they drip feed you yeah. with this kind of, like, their theory. Because 
um, I think they call it gaslighting in the sense that they're constantly dripping, feeding you stuff, and they, they make you start believing their truths mm. rather than your own truths. Um, so it just made it impossible to go, go back to work. So then when I finally um, then I went off with stress, and I'd only been back about three months because it was just making it impossible. So then I went off for three months with stress and then decided not to go back at all because he was like, well, what's the point? You don't need to go back to work. I look after financially. You don't need to worry. And so I did. But with that come restraints on the fact that this is your budget. This is what you're spending. Yeah. Um, this is where you need to shop. These are the stuff you need to buy. This is the food you need to cook. And all of that kind of real kind of tight guidelines on what it was. So it wasn't in the sense that he wasn't coercively controlling telling me what I could wear. No. But he'd be, he'd, he'd, he'd tell me things that I shouldn't wear. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's more cunning, isn't it, really, than the, the yeah. obvious thing, isn't it? It's more like you, subtle. You walk down the, yeah, if you walk down the stairs and you'd be wearing something, it'd go, really, you're wearing grey? And I'd go, yeah. It'd go, you're in prison, are you? Yeah, right, yeah. It'd be like, what's wrong with the colour grey? Only because you've done time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm not allowed to wear grey. Yeah. Um, and no music in the house. He didn't like music in the house. If it was music, it had to be the music he liked. Yeah. Just um, anything on telly. I wasn't allowed to watch soaps, anything like that, because it was just mind-numbing. I'm, I'm numbing my brain. I should be reading yeah. books on... What's that? What's that? The, the, the chimp theory. What's that? Oh, yeah, the chimp paradox. Yeah, the chimp paradox. I should yeah. read books like that to develop my yeah. mind. Yeah. And self-help books and right. like he read all the time. That's funny, like, isn't it? Yeah, he was I always wonder, I wonder why that was feeding. Sort of yeah, exactly. Manipulation, that's what it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's manipulation and egotistical. Yeah. So we it's can super do ego, it. isn't it? It's like this massive ego. Yeah, huge. Yeah. And he's only a short man, but I'm sure in his head he was probably about eight foot tall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, big man, a small body, yeah. Yeah. So then so then what happened then is um he'd bought a holiday home in um in Wales, in North Wales. So because obviously I was off work quite a lot, we were driving up to Wales quite a lot, spending weeks up here. Um yeah. and he was obviously he would he'd leave me up there for a couple of weeks and let me get used to it and then kind of like I I can't remember whether it's a drip feed thing or whether it's a decision that we kinda of spoke about. So we just thought we'll do we'll just move to Wales. We'll sell the house in Colchester mm. after mortgage on the property in Wales and just move to Wales. So before I know it, after my daughter be sort of like maybe just two and a half, we'd moved. No, eighteen months she was. We'd moved to Wales. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? Yeah, I moved away from all my it's family. Big, yeah, yeah. That's, all my that's, friends. Yeah. Moved to Wales where I had no job, no work, no family, and he had his family living in the village that we were move, moving into. Right. So he had his network sorted. Yeah. But again, he was just in the pub all the time. And the same theory, I'd like to be at the house as much as possible. Right. To not disturb his working. So what was you supposed to do while he was working? Look after my daughter. You know, I mean, I was, I was quite fortunate in the sense that because I thought, well, I was moved to Wales and I want a new beginning. So I just yeah. literally put myself out there. We were going to things like baby gym. We were finding lots of, like, kilk meterings where we were going to, like, yeah. little TFE clubs. And, and my, But the thing is, what had happened is I started making up networks of friends and mum friends obviously all mum friends and stuff but yeah. it was uh, it was nice so I was kind of finding my feet a little bit so that was good yeah. um, and then unfortunately after being up here just over a year then obviously Patrick died my twin brother um, and that yeah. really kind of took, yeah. yeah that, 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 that. Yeah. was like a bomb going off yeah. so I came down to 
came back to Essex and obviously we sorted, sorted that funeral and sorted that Patrick's little flat and sort of coming to terms with that. And um, when, we'd, when we'd come home, I can't remember if it was before the funeral or after the funeral, we were sitting in the front room drinking and he, he said, I'd, he goes, I've, I've been thinking, I don't know why all your family's so upset about Patrick dying. And I was like, what? What do you mean? He went, well, it's not like he came up with a cure for cancer, is it? It's not like he made an impact on life. He was a nobody. He wasn't going anywhere. What kind of life did he leave? And I just, you just lost your twin brother. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I think that was the moment that everything in my whole life just snapped. And it just went, someone like, you can imagine, you know, if, you know if someone slaps you around the face and you go, yeah. there you are. That's right. who I've married. Right. That's the person that I'm living with. Yeah. Nice. Because as you said to me, you realise that now you said that, that's one thing you'll never, ever, ever be able to take back. No. You cannot ever be forgiven for that. No. That is, that is the lowest of the low. Um, and then Did he actually it, show any done. remorse after you said that? No, 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 whatsoever. No, no, he's got no remorse, has he? Though? No, he hasn't got no remorse. Well, the thing is, I was going to say next was, I think... Just so then I was going to counselling, grief counselling, because obviously Paddy had died and, oh, yeah. I've missed a point. When we were coming back from the funeral and we were driving back to Wales, I was really upset in the truck. Yeah. And he said to me, he goes, you can cry all the way home. That's absolutely fine. But the minute we <laughs> I know get home, coming. the minute we get home, you're not crying anymore. That stopped. I knew that was coming. That was like, yeah, I'll you give you... stopped grieving. Yeah, I'll give you, like, all the way down the input and then that's it. That's, that's your lot. Like five hours. Yeah. God. And that's it. I don't worry about it. I don't talk about him. Now, I mean, I had, I had um, the order of service with Patrick's photographs in the front room on the yeah. bureau. And um, I, came, I came in one day and it was, it was down. I thought, well, where's that gone? And I looked and it was in a drawer. And I thought, and my daughter, they must have put it away. Yeah. So I put it back on the side. And then he moved it again. And I said, why do you keep moving it for? He went, I don't want to fucking look at your brother. Yeah. He's the fucking reason why our relationship has broken up. So, so this isn't about you. The fact that you're a narcissistic, coercive control freak. This is because yeah. of tactic. Right. Um, so then, because I was going to counselling, um, yeah. like I said to you earlier, my counsellor, yeah. after spending, I think I've only seen her about three sessions, and she was very much in the sense that, right, I want you to go home and research the word narcissist and then spend a week living with your husband. So yeah. I did, and went back, I went, yeah, he's a narcissist. And she went, now I want you to go back and research the word coercive control. Yeah. And then come back. I went back and went, yes, coercive controlling. And she went, right, you need to get in touch with women's age. You need to get some advice and guidance. She goes, well, I think it could go bad. She goes, but if it does start turning bad because you're now at a point where you are not happy and you want to leave, she went, you yeah. need to get that support network around you to, to move forward. Yeah. Because I'd, at that point as well, I'd got a part-time job working at a college, just doing some mm. sort of like admin job. Um, but it was getting me out again. So I was, again, getting my circle back, getting my confidence back, finding me again, and realising that actually I didn't want to be in this relationship anymore. And I'd, I'd had that conversation with him, and, and I'd said, I don't want to be with you anymore. Mm. I don't want to live with you anymore. It's not working. I'm not happy. And it's like, and it was never about, oh, I'll change. What have I done wrong? It was very much like, right, well, if that's the case, this is what you're going to have to agree to. These are the terms. We're going to split the childcare. I want my daughter so many days a week. I will give you this much money to shut you up and get you out of my life. Mm. Um, and you'll, get, you'll say, yeah, and that's it. 
And I was just in that moment, I was like, yeah, fine, fine. You know what? Just get, just to get away. Yeah. Just to get away, just to get away from you because I just can't be with you anymore. It's just, it's just not, it's not healthy. It's not good. Mm. Um, I'm constantly walking on eggshells. Everything I say is something wrong. Everything I do is wrong. I mean, even the temperature of his food was wrong. Yeah. If I cooked a dinner and it was too hot, it's like, why is that so hot? It's like, because it's come out of an oven. Yeah. What am I supposed to do, blow on it before I bring it to you? Mm. Um, and just, just things like that. I mean, it was getting really sort of like tense towards the end to the point where obviously we're living in quite a, a village which is quite far out. The public transport wasn't very good. And at that point, we were sharing a vehicle and he literally just took the key off my key ring and told me to go and buy my own car. Right. And I was like, well, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed, where am I, how am I supposed to go to a car place and buy one? He went, use the bus. Get a fucking bus. Mm. And, and trying to just, he was just, just an arsehole, just a pig. So then, the, then on the 24th of April last year, he uh, went out and got absolutely hammered. And um, I was able to get a friend of mine to look after my daughter because he said he wouldn't come back and look after her so I could go to my counselling session because his mental health was more important at that point. Um, so I went... So my friend had her in the village. And um, so I then came home from, from the session, bathed my daughter to bed, potted about like you do, and he showed in about 10 o'clock. And as he walked in, he was very much like, I'm going to walk the dog. And he was pissed, you know, and he was swaying. Yeah. And he's going, I'm going to walk the dog, and then we're going to have one of our little chats. Oh. So I walked out, so I walked the dog, and I thought, I know what that meant. We're going to sit here and listen to you talk about how amazing you are, and what an absolute arsehole I am, mm. and how I've been such a bad wife, and how I've ruined the relationship. So I thought, I'm going to need a glass of wine for this, because mm. it could be a long conversation. So I went out, poured a glass of wine, and came in, and um, and that's exactly what he did. He sat there for about an hour and a half, slagged off all my family, slagged off Patrick, slagged off Nikki, slagged off my mum and dad, mm. everybody that I'd ever come in contact with and all my phone network and all of that. And how do you think you're going to survive? How do you think you're going to cope? All the stuff I've done for you, you're completely, um, what was the word? Just you don't, you don't appreciate everything I've done for you, how I've saved mm. you, allegedly, because I was so, so lost beforehand. Mm. Um, and then he just started, just started shouting and screaming and was like, you're not taking my child away from me. And I was like, and I just said, yeah, I'm not taking away from you. I said, but what kind of father have you been like you are now? You're shouting and screaming at me like you are. Mm. And she's upstairs in bed. Mm. And he just, he just lunged across me, grabbed my wine glass out of my hand and crushed it in his hand. And then went on to physically assault me in my front room where he oh. tried to um, break two of my fingers, punch me in the ribs, dragged me around by my hair. Um, oh, first of all, he attacked me with her wooden chair that we always had in the front room so she could sit at the table. Mm. So he, he hit me with that three times. And then, yeah, then sort of grabbed me by the hair and dragged me out of the house and threw me outside the house and slammed the door behind me. So I then ran next door to my next-door neighbour um, and we called the police. Mm. And then the police come and arrested him. But he'd already phoned the police before we'd got to it, saying that I'd assaulted him oh, with a wine God. glass. Right. Um, but I was fortunate enough in the sense that the police aren't stupid and they no. do believe his version of events. So then, so then, yeah, so the next day I packed up as many clothes as I could in the car and um, got my, tried to get my passport and my daughter's passport from the shop, but it wasn't there and just made a, just a panic dash to some sort of like little Airbnb outside of the village. 
and then Monday morning I was back into women's aid and they put me in a refuge in North Wales for about five weeks. Because wow. I'd, I'd already put an offer in for a house, I was waiting for that to go through. So it was just a case of <laughs> the other day phoning this poor woman up around the house going, please let me have your house. I can't stand in refuge anymore. It's not working. Mm. And I'd had to take my daughter out of nursery because um, my ex was threatened that he'd go in there and take her. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether to, to kind of like to run away and kidnap or whatever. But so in that sense, I'd, I'd already been advised for a good uh, solicitor firm that was based in Manchester. Um, so straight away, we got a non-molestation and a prohibited step back so that he would not be out of removal from any childcare or any friend of mine that was looking after at the time. Mm. But what the police didn't tell me is the fact that he'd, he'd have a restraining order and he wouldn't be allowed near the house. And he'd have to have so far a distance from me. I wasn't made aware of that at the time. So I just ran in the sense that I didn't want to be in the house in case he came back. Well, the fear is, is that even if they put those things in place, that yeah. someone is desperate enough to just ignore that and then come to the house. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of logical that you would think that. So, yeah, so we ran and in hid for about seven weeks. And then the house went through, but... Um, he found out where I was living and then him, he knew the area that I was moving into because it's still um, on Anglesey. Right. So him, him and his female cousin were driving around the village looking for my car. Right. Trying to find out where we'd moved to. So I moved in on the Monday and by the following Saturday, his cousin was knocking on my front door. Really? Yeah, to find out how we were just checking up on us. Right. But they'd obviously be, they'd been sent. She'd been sent by by my ex to find out where and, we were. And, and it was the just, thing is, it, it, you don't know what he would have said to. No, it would no, have all been not. Turns out of yeah, uh, the context it, it, that it would have been your fault, and oh, absolutely, you were so unreasonable, and you made all this stuff up. You can you can sort of know what they're going to say, people on their side. Yeah, that's what he was doing. He was yeah. jabbing all the people in the village to give his version of events and. Yeah. And stuff. And so, yeah, so he was relentless after that in the sense that he was trying to get me arrested for breaking into a shop. He was then spreading rumours around that I was a lesbian and posting yeah. pornographic DVDs through my friend's door. And she's got right. a four-year-old son. Um, just, he was relentless in the sense that he just wouldn't let it go. And then obviously I had to go to court to give evidence on the assault charge because he was charged with assault. And then he was saying, thank guilty of assault. He, fa- he was found guilty. Yeah, he was found guilty. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's still a restraining order against him, which is indefinite. Um, right. I'm still in contact with Women's Aid, just for general contact, really, to make sure we're okay. Yeah. And then I speak to another lady that's linked to the probationary service, and so she does the same thing, just to touch base and make sure we're okay. Yeah. yeah I've had the police, I've had the fire brigade round to fit letterbox covers and give me a... a sort of like bar for the back door so he can't ever break into the property. Yeah. Stuff like that, really. So it's just it's just about keeping safe. You know what I mean? The unfortunate thing is because of the COVID-19 with all the childcare orders, I've yeah. now got to see him up more closely because there isn't a third person that can take my daughter because obviously we can't get anyone else involved. So the last couple of weeks have been difficult because I've had That's to cool. actually physically see him. Yeah. We have an e- we have an email correspondence for my daughter's needs, but it never is. It's just a barrage of emails from him telling me still what a crappy parent I am. Right, but you so even, even it. with all these all this evidence against it, 
Yeah. That people in this position, they cannot accept the fact that they've done any wrong. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. He, still, he still doesn't have any comprehension of what he did and how he's managed to manipulate the system and see how he's... You know I mean, the social worker that we had from Kafkas was just bowled over by him. Really? I mean, there was a, the, yeah, the word parental alienation was a big word being passed around from him. Mm. And I think that she would, well, she would have plotted in his head because apparently, you know what I mean, as far as she was concerned, there was no reason why she shouldn't have access. Right. Given the violent background he's got and the fact of what he did that night while she was asleep upstairs. And the thing is that, that going back to that night, sorry to do no, that, but, but, you know, you was forced out of the house and, and, and that poor thing was still upstairs. Yeah, she was upstairs. So it must have been horrendous for you to think that... You yeah, know, the moment I've got to my neighbour's house, the moment yeah. I've got to my neighbour's house, I thought, I've had to leave her in there. She's in the house. I've had to leave yeah. her in the house. Yeah. And the, when the police come out, I said, you just need to remove him from the house now so I can get her, because I've got no idea what's going on in there. So that... Where does that leave you now, then? So now that leaves me in the sense that um, we're still living in the house that he knows where we live and uh, he's been driving past it, but the police have gone round there and had a word because they're restraining order. Yes. Um, the prohibited steps and non-molestation will run out the middle of May unless they want to throw another sort of 20 grand at him to have orders that really don't really work. I don't personally think they've worked that well, but it's just been yeah. the fact that I've, you, you have to do some things to empower yourself to make sure yeah. that they're aware that you won't put up with it I think it's rather, it's more of the actions that you carry out as opposed to what the outcomes are that you need to empower yourself to to let them know that you won't put up with this shit anymore. Do you feel stronger now? Oh, much stronger, much stronger. Considering I was a year ago, I'm a completely different person. I've, I've just got a full-time job back into teaching, working yeah. for a little um, training company um, in Carnarvon. So... Um, We've still got a house. I'm looking at moving again because we've been to divorce court now. So I've had a, I will get a divorce settlement that will give me enough right. money to move again. So I'll move into a bigger property and where he doesn't know where we live, and obviously update my car and stuff like that. So um, that'll be your that'll be your new start. Yeah, that'll be our new start. You know, I mean, we're definitely having a new start. You know, what I mean, she does see him yeah. more than I'd like. You know, what I mean, the court was very generous in the sense that um, they've given him a lot more contact than I would have liked. Yeah. Um, but. She has the right to have a father, and I would never take that away from her. And she enjoys spending time with him, and he enjoys spending time with her. It's just which the fact that the I just don't you know, Yeah, which is it's absolutely the main thing, and I've, I would never ever try to ruin that relationship. No. 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 It's. Oh, it's, it's so. It, it's so difficult. Um, to listen to these things because you know if you've had anyone that's been through it which I have as well um, you know it just it just comes from nowhere doesn't it and it's that it's easy to look back and think that isn't it it's easy to look back and think oh why didn't I see that coming and all these things yeah. but the, the crucial thing is is just having that moment of clarity and going round this is it now I'm done yeah. I'm done with this yeah there has, there has to come a point where you realise that actually you don't need to live this way. You don't yeah. have to put up with this. You don't have to be spoken to and treated to and be someone's doormat and be constantly no. told you're not good enough. 
um, because the problem being is that the most difficult time in a coercive controlling relationship is the moment that you're going to leave because at that point they've actually lost control because you're going it's the most and there is nothing time, isn't it? yeah there is nothing else that they can do mm. they've used all their tools they've used all their all their all the tricks up their sleeve and they've gone yeah. and you've seen them for who they are and literally mm. that night when he did attack me that's when the rule came out that's when the rule the mask slipped the real the world was there mm. and it scared me yeah it scared the shit out of me yeah and I'm very much in the sense that I don't want anything to do with him in the sense that I would never want to be in that situation again no you know what I mean and I'd like to insist they're not to frighten anybody but if we'd been in a kitchen and there'd have been a knife there mm. the outcome could have been very different well, I spoke to Josie that um, hers, hers went out today. It's horrific when she was saying to me that most um, serious incidents happen in the kitchen because it's just that's where all the that's where all the, um, the instruments are. You know, there's uh, weapons and things. You know, and um, yeah. hers was hers was a rolling pin, and you know, mm. guy just attacked her solidly for two hours with a rolling pin and then he just said to her you can go to bed now I'm tired he literally said he dismissed her and said you've got to go to bed now because I've wore he'd worn himself out like bashing her around for two hours with a rolling pin and you you, you know just to dismiss you like a bit of meat this is the thing isn't it it's like anyone out there who's spotting any of these signs that you brave women of have got away from need to then just acknowledge the fact that there may be something wrong with her. They've not got a healthy relationship. Yeah. And I think the more people that are brave enough like you to speak out, that there is someone out there who maybe just got that little bit of a point where they're thinking, you know, something maybe this right isn't here. right. Yeah, this isn't healthy. Yeah. This isn't right. I think um, the thing is, I think question. that, yeah, I think you need to question. That, that's the most important thing that, if you're unsure what narcissism looks like, read about it. Mm. If you're unsure what coercive control looks like, read about it. You know what I mean? Mm. You, you, the thing is, is that family and friends don't want to get involved because they don't want to lose you. They don't want to poison mm. them. They don't want to get too involved because what they don't want to do is lose you. Because as long as they've still got contact with you, even when he's not there and he's not in the room, they're still able to talk to you to make sure that you're still okay and you're still well. So yeah. I think that a lot of family members are probably aware of what's going on, more so than you are, because I know all my family were very much aware that something yeah. was very wrong. But again, they just didn't want to say anything because they didn't want to lose me and for me to literally cut all ties with family because that would have been the icing on his cake. Yeah. So I think it's Which really important. Which managed anyway. Yeah. But by getting you to, uh, you know, to move, the yeah. country, and this is what happens so much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, I spoke to Suzanne today, and, and hers is coming out Wednesday, and she was saying the guy got in her phone and he, he was um, deleting numbers and blocking people without her realising. Because she's just thinking people hadn't... People aren't talking to her anymore. People aren't talking to me. And then, and, and then and then to rub it in, would be saying, see, no one likes you. I don't know, what you, I don't know you know, why he's bothering, you know, like... And that's the extent that these things can happen, and it's all about separating you from people who care about you. Absolutely. But it is, yeah. it is about speaking to women's age. I mean, they are brilliant. They are the experts. Yeah. They, they, won't have, they, they won't ever belittle anything you do or say. You know what I mean? I remember the first time I went to women's age, and we were sitting there, and my daughter was playing with some toys, 
And I just kept saying to her, yeah, this is the library. So when we go home later, you can say you've been to the library. And she looked at me and she went, you're already making up a story. And I went, yeah, in case you questioned either of us. Yeah. Because I have to be prepared. Because what I don't want her to say is we went to some strange building. And he'll go, well, where was you then? Yeah. What was you doing? So, yeah, it's, but when you know you're doing that, you then, when someone points that out, you're like, God, yeah, I am. Yeah. I, I must, it is, you are in a dangerous situation, so. Because you're at the point where you're just doing it without even realising you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, you've forgotten, you've forgotten the reasons yeah. why you're doing it, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, just. I'll make sure that we put the links for Wounds Aid. Yeah. Um, and any other links that you want me to put, I'll make sure I put them on with the podcast yeah. so people can. Listen, yeah, listen, and the, the, the police, the police as well. The police as well were brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The I'm hearing that so again supportive. and again and again in a time when everyone sort of seems to have the ump with them, and you know, they, they, it's an hard job, like you know, yeah. and they're everyone's, everyone's favourite punching bag, don't they? The police, but until well, you I've really got, need them, I've got the same. <laughs> I've got the same police officer that was being involved from the beginning, mm. and whenever, and obviously there was other bits and pieces going. Like I said, that he was driving past the property and he was posting things through friends' letterboxes and doing all sorts of bits and pieces that obviously mounted up and not looking at... If you looked at them individually, they wouldn't look at anything. They'd look petty, but you start putting them all together and it just goes to show how coercive controlling it's still trying to be. But this police officer was very much like, that's my mobile number, that's my name, that's my, that's my sort of serial number. If anything else happens, call me because instead of having to go through to the police station and someone else picking it up and then yeah. having to dig back through the background... I know the background. Yeah. So if there's any problem, he said any time, night or day, ring that number and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, that's have, the theme I've heard throughout this. Is to have that, it's like, it's yeah. like gold. It's like gold because you know that you're speaking to someone and even though it's a small concern, because yeah. I was like, well, he's, only, he's just driving past me property and he's like, yeah, but he's just taking an inch because he's yeah. taking an inch because it will then eventually turn to a mile. So you need yeah. to nip it in the bud. Yeah. They've been doing it for 15 years. He goes, I know what, you're like. I know what they're like. Yeah. So, so yeah. It's like having faith. your fat phone, isn't it? Like having your own yeah. fat phone, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? You know? but, but it is. It's, it's, it's a yeah. that don't feel that if you're, if you're leaving and you're, you're doing this, you're, you're never really alone. You've got so many people that will support you. Yeah. Because that, I mean, that would prohibit people, I think, the fear of it, thinking that... And women's you know, refuge is not... not a woman's refuge is not the nicest place to go, but it is the safest place to go if you've got nowhere else to go. Yeah. That they will, they will find you somewhere and they will put you up. So if you do go to women's aid and it's a, a desperate need for you to get out, yeah. they, will ha- they will house you and your children. Yeah. And you literally can just turn up with nothing and they will look after you. I've, I've, I'm, I'm aware of them. I, I go to some. Uh, we we mm. do, well, with Haircuts Homeless, we go to obviously a lot of homeless centres, but we do go to more um, women's refugees than people realise. And... Um, I've met some incredible people yeah. who have been through some horrendous things. Well, I and, felt like um, a fool. I felt like a fool when I was in this women's refuge when I was listening to the girls' stories there. And yeah, mine, mine was mine was literally yeah. nothing compared to some of the other girls in there that what they'd gone through. But that it was, I couldn't understand why they weren't taking them to court. Why the um, who does it go to? Crown put. Uh, CPS. Yeah, CPS. Yeah. CPS, but they're not. They weren't prosecuting. I was like, "What?" Yeah. I was like, well, "If they're not prosecuting your husband after what he did to you, how are they going to prosecute mine?" Yeah. So I, I didn't have any faith that it would go to court at all. No. So I was really surprised when it did go to court. Yeah. So. It's um, 
they do a wonderful job, the refugees. They yeah, really, they really do. Um, and I'm glad anything I can do when I did. When, we've had some brilliant times. And we've, you know, there's a particular one I go to and we, <laughs> we do the hair. And sometimes we've been lucky to take the, someone does nails and everything. And it's oh, not, everyone's so timid. And so well, they are. They're so beautiful. But they're a hen party. It's <laughs> amazing, you know. It, the, the, as they come out of their shell yeah. and the big characters come out. And honestly, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever done. It, yeah. it's, it's incredible. So, um, well, my darling, Michelle. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm worn out again. Okay. I know it's exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but it, it has to be heard. You know, we no, we no. have to get this out there because people, you know, and it's it's anyone they must recognise, and and they must question, and they must find out, yeah, um, and they must make these changes. But thanks for being so generous. I really, really appreciate it. Not and problem. I'll put all those links on as well. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, Thank you take you. care. And you bye. Bye bye. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.